Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Hey, it's your friend Shauna. This is Everyone's Talking Money. And I bet you want to know what mistakes not to make when you're investing in real estate. Yeah, I do too. So I am giddy with excitement because this episode is your go-to guide to investing in real estate with Alan Corey, host of the new Stack and Deed show. The way you build long-term wealth through real estate is a long-term horizon, like a 30-year horizon. You have the, the long-term tenants, the, the 12-month leases things like that. And then you're not at the whims of a market like a house flipper would be. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. 
There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. I'll tell you the number one mistake every new investor makes is they want to buy that house that they uh, want to live in. And so, you know, my, my saying is the best deals are ugly in the street, sexy in the spreadsheets. All right. Can we just talk about this idea of sexy in the spreadsheets? I mean, that is the concept. I just really love it. It's got such a ring to it. (laughs) And I have done so many episodes around real estate investing, but this one, my friend, I, I really think this one might be my favorite because knowing what not to do is just going to help you save so much time and so much money and get you out of this place that Alan calls uh, really newbie real estate investing analysis paralysis. So you get stuck in all of the options and like trying to figure out, you know, what's the right place to to invest and you just don't do anything. You find yourself just always thinking about this idea, but just never really taking any action. So Alan shared something profound. He says, no one ever says that they wish they started real estate investing later. So why do I love real estate investing? Well, it's just another money bucket for you to balance out everything, balance out your retirement savings and all the other things that you're doing to to build wealth. I'm going to let Alan fill you in on all the details because he's got a lot to say and you're definitely wanting to hear it. So let's start talking. We're talking about one of my favorite topics, real estate. And I feel like no matter how many episodes we do on the show about real estate, everybody's like, I want more. I want to hear more. I want to know more. And I think it's because, you know, real estate has been touted as one of the best ways to to build wealth. Whether you're you're buying a home for yourself and your family, which, you know, is questionable about uh, whether that builds wealth or not. We can talk more about that. Or if, you know, what we're here to talk about in investing in real estate. So, you know, buying that for uh, whether you're renting out a room or you're renting out, you know, half of your duplex or your Airbnb, you know, there's, I think, been, a, you know, a lot of trends. And certainly since the pandemic, people have been really excited about real estate. I know the Airbnb market just sort of exploded. And, you know, now it's having a little bit of a drop. We've got higher interest rates. We've got the housing market kind of slowed a little bit. Um, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about, I was, I was reading an article in Yahoo Finance this morning, and it said that one in seven homes an investor sold in March this year went for less than the investor brought for the property. And for flippers, it fared even worse. So thinking about this idea of, of real estate being a, a way to build wealth, is it still viable? Hundred percent. I've been real estate investing for over twenty three years, so I've, I've seen all the up markets and the down markets. You mentioned several things that I'd like to mention, and yeah, buying a house for your primary residence, I consider that a lifestyle decision because you're going to pick what what the schools and the commute and how safe the neighborhood is. It's, it's all about your lifestyle and you'll pay a premium for that. It doesn't mean that's a wrong decision. It's just really not an investment decision where if you're looking at investment property, it's a spreadsheet decision and you take away the emotions and you just say, well, what is this going to cost me and how much money is it going to make? It's like evaluating a small business and you're not going to live there. So it, it you don't care so much about the commute because it's not your commute, but it'll be the tenants com- would, will care and their, their commute is going to be different than yours. So um, that's how you sort of separate the two. Um, Secondly, 
the way you build long-term wealth through real estate is a long-term horizon, like a 30-year horizon. You have the the long-term tenants, the the 12-month leases, things like that. And then you're not at the whims of a market like a house flipper would be. A house flipper or new construction builder, they are committing to a three-month or six-month or a year project, and they're hoping that interest rates don't change in that year or the prices don't change. And when it does, well, surprise, it's they, you know, that, that's where they lose money, right? Because they're trying to create wealth quickly. And anything that, that there are those big windfalls that can happen with the perfect timing, but you're really sort of gambling a bit. But long-term buy and hold, if I have a rental property and it's making me 200 bucks a month, and let's say it's a $100,000 property and it drops in value and it becomes a $50,000 property, uh, I don't care because I'm still making 200 bucks a month and I'm not going to sell it until it goes back up to a hundred or more. So I'm just going to wait it out. I'm not buying the property because I think it's going to double or triple in value in the short term. I'm buying it because I want that $200 of cash flow. And if it happens to turn into 300 or 400, that's fine. Very rarely does that $200 in cash flow go to a hundred dollars because it's, um, you know, rental income typically uh, goes up a little bit each year. You know, like if, if landlord expenses go up, it, the landlord just doesn't eat that price. They have to raise the the, the, the rent uh, to, to to match, just like a business would. If their sandwiches, you know, deli meat went up, they're going to raise the price of sandwiches. It's the same thing. And when we see a sort of a faulting economy or struggling economy, what you find is fewer home buyers. And so you have a higher demand of rental tenants. So it's really sort of an evergreen business and you can wait it out and, and do the timing as you want. And then the last point I want to make, sorry, I know I'm, I'm rounding on here. No, you I'm allowed to go, yes. Uh, okay, all right, is, is the interest rates. And and to me, um, interest rates do not determine whether it's a good deal or a bad deal. Uh, it's just a variable. I, I can find a, um, a terrible deal that's got 0% interest rate. You know, so it's, I'm not just going to buy it because I can I can buy it with zero percent interest rate. Same thing can happen. I can find a great deal with a twenty percent interest rate. It's just a variable. And if you go back to sort of that low risk plan of doing a thirty year fixed, I love that because then I'm, I'm put in a situation where let's say I lock in at a seven percent interest rate right now. I'm only going to buy that if the house still cash flows, right? It still makes me money. And um, and then if the interest rates go down. Sure, I can refinance then and make even more money because now my mortgage payment's lower. But if uh, interest rates go up, then I look like a genius because I locked in at seven percent, right? So uh, I, I, it's not—I never try to time the market. I'm buying in all markets. I'm buying in all interest rates. It's just a variable that you throw in when you're looking at properties. I love that you talked about interest rates from that perspective because you also talked about this idea of emotions. And I think particularly if we're thinking about getting into real estate investing and maybe we haven't put our toes in that water yet, it's really easy to fall into the emotional just sort of vacuum, I think, of real estate, you know, its headlines and and everything we just talked about, interest rates and the housing market slowing. And you can start to feel really fearful about your decision. You know, am I making the decision right? You know, and the, I feel like there's that question that everyone says, like, should I do it now? Should I wait? Should I, you know, it's, it's like no one has this crystal ball of, of, of which way things are going to go going forward. And we know the, the inevitable is that things are going to change one way or another. So 
you know, how do we balance the emotions that we might feel around investing in real estate? And, you know, how can you speak to us about, you know, just sort of like that question that always goes on in the back of their heads, like, should we do it now? Should we wait? You know, it's just, it feels like it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. Well, I've never met a real estate investor in, in my life. And I've been real estate investing 23 years that said, man, I wish I started real estate investing later. Like, like no, no one ever says that. Right. And, and you don't know how many people I've been talking to who are like, man, um, you know, a year ago, like, oh, it, it, prices are crazy. I'm not going to buy real estate. And, and interest rates were, you know, two and a half, three percent. And and the ones who did buy, they look great. Like, like, oh, wow, you perfect timing. Right. So it's no one knows whether you have perfect timing or not. So you got to buy in those fundamentals Two, my approach. So I wrote my, my most recent book is called House Fire and Fire Sands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the way I did it was I would look at all the bills in my life. So for example, I had a $150 internet bill and um, phone bill combined, 150 bucks. And I knew I could never pay this off. Um, it gets, it, you can't buy it in bulk, you know, and, and it's just a necessary, it's going to follow me until I, I, I die. <laughs> and uh, there's um, a sort of, um, a, the fire movement has this thing called the 4% rule, which I believe you probably talked about before on your podcast, which basically says, if you take that $150 and times it by 12, that's your annual expense, was, which is 1800 And then you, you multiply that annual expense of 1800 by 25, that's um, going to be $45,000. And if you put $45,000 into stocks then uh, and withdraw 4% a year, you'll always pull out $1,400 and you'll always be fine, like with all the ebbs and flows of the stock market and everything. Uh, but that sounded like a lot of money to me, right? $45,000 to pay a $150 bill for the rest of my life in retirement. Um, and that adds up because you have all these other bills. So I was like, how can I solve this problem through real estate? stripping all the emotion out of it and just say, is there a faster way? And yes, of course there is, uh, or I wouldn't have written the book. It's, uh, you take half that money, $22,500, and you could put $20,000, which is 20% on a $100,000 property. And let's say that you have an extra 2,500 that just go in closing costs and inspections and, and things like that repairs. So you take half that money and after you account for mortgages and vacancies and repairs, that house will cash flow $150 for you. And so that's my house fire method where I'm like, let's take every bill and burn it uh, you know, with, with a house or, or give a house a job. And I just went through every bill and said, okay, I'm going to take this house, give it a job, take this house, give it a job. And so when I'm looking at properties, it's just very simple. Will this pay for, for the bill? You know, you, and then go to your car bill. Like a lot of people save up, let me save up $50,000 to buy a Tesla and I'm going to give it to the richest man in the world. Here's $50,000. Give me my Tesla. And that's not the way I take, uh, you know, approach real estate. I'm like, let me take my $50,000. I want to keep it. I want to buy a house, go get a Tesla that has a car note, let my house pay my car note. And then seven years, my house paid for the car note. My $50,000 appreciated, and it didn't just appreciate $50,000 like it would in the stock market because it's leveraged. So I put $50,000 on a $200,000 property. That $200,000 appreciated 3.5% a year uh, for seven years. So it's probably doubled in value in seven years. I turned that $50,000 into $100,000, and I got my Tesla paid for. And now my Tesla bill's paid off. So now that car note was 400 bucks a month. Now I'm making 400 bucks a month. I've got to give it to another bill. Uh, and so that's that's sort of – it's give it a job make it match in the spreadsheet. And then it's not an emotional play. At least th that's how I approach it. 
It's interesting math when you run through the math and you approach it from that perspective. I've never heard anyone actually talk about it, you know, in that way. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, it, it certainly makes my math brain uh, super excited. But for those, those who are listening, they're like, okay, but where do I get started on this? How do I, how do I find the right property? How do I know um, what will be profitable? And how, how do I know how much money to actually, you know, save up to start investing? What do you say to, to all of the, all of those kind of skeptical questions that we've got? No, those are good questions. And I, I teach real estate investing. And so these are cl- questions that come up quite often. And really it's, overcoming that analysis paralysis, which everyone has, and just overload of information. And it's trying to kind of um, say, can I find something better? Like, like that's that's always the, the, the where they get stuck. Like, okay, I found a property that's in my neighborhood or whatever. It's going to make me another. And then they're like, can I find something better? And then they find something better. And then it's like, oh, good. I didn't buy that one. And then they're like, okay, um, can I find something better? And then, then, and you know, two months later, they find something better. And then it's like, you've been finding something better for four years. Like, like imagine if you bought all these properties, right? So to me, you really have to give yourself a, t- a deadline, a timeline and, and a job. Like if you give a house a job and you're like a timeline, I want this bill to be covered by a property in 90 days, no matter what, right? Whatever the best one is in 90 days, you're going to buy it. And then you're going to move on and like, okay, now I want to buy the next bill or, you know, with the house cover the next bill. And it actually gets easier and faster as you go, because obviously once you have a house that's paying for a bill, well, your expenses go down and you can save at at a faster rate for the next house. And then you cover another bill and then you're saving for a faster rate for the next house. And so it actually speeds you up. And I started by just having that sort of time bound goal where I said, I'm going to buy one property a year. That's it. And so I put, I went to my HR department. I was working tech support at the time and say, put 50% in this bank account and put 50% in this other bank account. Uh, one half of, uh, I just used for my living expenses. And the other half, I, I was in another bank. I didn't know the login. I didn't have the ATM card. I physically had to walk into the bank to know how much money was in there. Nice. And, every Janu- and every January 1st, uh, I'd walk in and, and realize that they're closed on January 1st. So then I had to wait till like the next day, but uh, I would make my way over there and be like, what's my balance? And whatever my balance was, that was going to be my down payment for a property. And I gave myself 30 days to buy a property. So I was like, January 1st, whatever's in there, that's my down payment. Let me buy a property in 30 days. And so by February, I, I always bought a property every February, it's sort of a low time to kind of be buying property too. So it kind of worked out that way. And um, I just, did it. And even though I didn't love it, even though I probably could buy something better, just the fact that this was a routine that I would do every year, it just made it. And then in five years, I was actually making more money than I was at my day job and I didn't have to work anymore. I love that approach because I talk a lot about uh, emotions versus actions on this show and something I call the money pie, which is kind of moving through how you make money decisions that, you know, it all starts with a thought and the thought then creates a feeling and the feeling then creates an action. And whether you do, you know, actions more than one time that creates patterns. And then ultimately you want to get to the place where it creates a behavior where it's just sort of habitual. It's something that, well, of course I do this. And so what I love about what you're sharing is you've kind of moved through my money pie and you've gotten to the piece where you were just like, this is, this is the commitment that I'm making to myself and I'm doing this every single paycheck. And I've set up this, sort of system for success. And I think I I love that because it's really easy for our emotions and our 
feelings kind of get in the way. And, you know, there might be a day where you're like, forget it. I'm not putting that money in that account. I want to go out and spend it and blow it so I can feel better. But, but you know what you're doing. You have that plan in place and you've got this strategy set up. And I think that's just kind of a genius way to approach doing something like investing in real estate. Yeah, it, it basically, I, I was betting on myself too, because I, I, I was putting a lot of money in stocks and I realized I couldn't go to the head of, you know, whatever corporation and say, fire your customer support staff or raise your prices. Like I had no control. So I felt like I was gambling with stocks. Like I hope, I hope those people know what they're doing, but with real estate, I, I believed in myself and I was like, I will make this work. And I know uh, that, you know, I started when I was 22, I, I was on my 22nd birthday, I bought my first property. And, uh, it was, uh, I'll tell you, I, no 22 year old knows what they're doing out there as much as confidence as they, as, as every 22 year old has. And I was one of those people, uh, I made every mistake in the book and, um, I still was successful, right? It, it's, it's just sort of belief in yourself. I'm going to figure this out. And I also, uh, built a lot of confidence by thinking about every landlord I've ever had in my life and realized that they were probably the dumbest people I've inter- interacted with. They didn't know how to click rent on time. They didn't know how to return an email. Like, like I was like, that's the bar t- at success. Like I, yeah, I I can do that. Right. So, um, and that's what I found is like, if if I just respond to a tenant within 24 hours, I am like, I get like, thank you letters. And I'm like, yeah, gold star. Like, this is great. (laughs) Right. And, um, but, and a lot of people are like, I don't want to be the landlord. I don't want that interaction. And you can now there's software tools where I don't even know my tenant's name. They don't know me. We've never met each other. They've been screened through software. All the rents collected, all the repairs go through the software, the repair, the software system, you know, sends an email to the plumber or electrician. I'm not even involved except to give a thumbs up on the invoice. And so you can really make this very passive. And I promise you, people are going to say that I've given several examples that are $100,000 homes and they exist. They might not exist in your city, but with these same tools, you can buy them. Like I, I had, I've just sold 50 homes that I bought for $60,000 each that all rented for 600 bucks. They actually were fine houses. There were tenants. There might not be houses that you would want to live in, but um, this is an hour from Atlanta. And and I've got friends who are buying $60,000 duplexes, $80,000 duplex in Ohio and Indiana, you know, a bunch of, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, like, like they're in the Southeast and the Midwest and you can buy these remotely and manage them. And it's very passive and it can be done just $20,000 at a time. Just put that 20% down payment, $20,000 down payment, and you're going to pay off your bills one after another. So it's, it's out there. It's a, it's achievable. It's, I think a lot of people just give them excuses or they don't want to do it or it's too much work. And I get it. It's more work than stocks, but you make four to five times more money. So that's the exchange. And I, I wouldn't call it passive income. I call it leveraged income, you know, sort of like um, someone who makes a song and gets royalties for the rest of your life. They put in a lot of work in the studio to, to, to get that song done. And then they can sit back and coast. It's the same sort of thing. You got to get, you know, get started. It's got to put a lot of work in, but then you sit back and coast and it gets prettier and prettier, uh, you know, the, the further you go along. Stay tuned after this quick word from our sponsors because Alan is going to share his three keys to finding the right place to invest in real estate. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. 
Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, 
savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Everyone that we've had on the show that has talked about investing in real estate talks about kind of the midsection of the U.S. as being a little bit of a of a sweet spot, you know, out from the coast, from kind of those expensive bigger cities. Um, I just took a trip with my family. We we drove cross country actually to to California and. We stayed in some Airbnbs, uh, you know, kind of the middle section of the U.S. and and you know, I because I'm a money person, I always go on Zillow and look up like, you know, well, what is it? How who, you know how much do they buy this house for? Like, what's the current value? Just kind of really curious about that. I do things. the same. Yes, of yeah. Course. And then I'm like, okay, they're renting it for X amount of dollars on on Airbnb or whatever it might be, and my sort of math brain kind of goes off from there. But I, it's just sort of fun for me, but. You know, I can attest that there are a lot of places where you can buy homes for, you know, you don't have to have a half a million dollars. In fact, those numbers probably don't work very well when we're talking about, you know, getting a return. So, you know, I, I was curious, like, what are some of your favorite cities right now that you that you look at for buying properties? So you, what you really want to look at is uh, job growth, stability, uh, population, at least stagnant or growing. Um, and so a lot of times that's job driven. Like, is there a headquarters here? Ideally multiple headquarters is great. Like for instance, Atlanta, which is my town. Um, I love it because we're, we've got Coca-Cola and Chick-fil-A and UPS and Porsche and Mercedes Benz and all these healthcare companies. Like it's not just one industry that would dry, dry up that would, you know, Delta, like, like they're, they're, there's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of growing uh, cities. Um, so I would, what I would say is ideally with sort of the work from home and being remote workers, um, being within two hours of a major airport is probably huge. Um, I think those were, are always going to be evergreen cities. You know, like in the past, you wanted to be close to the train station or in the big cities, you want to be close to the subway stop. I think now it's going to be how, how far are you from the airport? I think that's going to be the important factor because you can really be remote, but also still connected to the world if you're within a two hours drive yeah. in the airport. So I think that's sort of what I'm looking for. Um, and I'll tell you the number one mistake every new investor makes is they want to buy that house that they uh, want to live in. And so, you know, my, my saying is you, the best deals are ugly in the street, sexy in the spreadsheets. That's what you want. And everyone wants to do the reverse. Like uh, they want the sexy house they can drive by. I own this house and I rent it out, but you paid a premium for it. It's not going to be sexy in the spreadsheet, but the ugly ones where like a homeowner's like, I don't want to live in a floodplain or under the power lines or on this busy street. Tenants aren't as picky. They all, all tenants think about is my budget is $2,000. What can I buy for $2,000? What is the best one for $2,000 that's close to my job? That's all they think about. They don't, they're not going to care about whether it's got granite countertops. Does it have, you know, a three car garage bay? Like it, it, like you might want those things, but a tenant's just like, I got $2,000 to spend, you know, let's solve this problem in, in 48 hours. And so I can move on with my life. So those are ones that you can actually get at a discount. They sit on the market for a while. You can kind of lowball them and get some really good deals. And yeah, that's, that's sort of my, my mantra. And you can find those everywhere in big cities, but also sort of in between. And the reason sort of the, the mid, mid, Midwest, I guess, and the Southeast are, are popular is 
Um, states are usually categorized as landlord friendly or tenant friendly. And what I mean by that is the laws, like how fast can you evict someone if they don't pay or, you know, the squatting rights and things like that. And sort of um, the the middle and the Southeast uh, sort of states seem to, or, or definitely more landlord friendly. And so it's, it's a little bit easier to run businesses uh, based on sort of, you know, if things go bad, that um, the, the court's on your side. I want to talk about mistakes a little bit more uh, because I think we talk about a lot of the successes on this show. Um, and, and you and your co-host, Crystal, who aren't here with us today, are hosts of a new show called uh, Stacking Deeds from the Stacking Benjamins uh, podcast brand, which we love here. Joe is one of our one of our favorites. And so you're kind of diving deep in your show and a lot of different elements. But one of the things that you talk about are the things that we should not do when we're investing in real estate. And I feel like we talked about a couple of them, but I was wondering if there, there are any other kind of big points that you think we should definitely avoid this, doing this if we're going to invest in real estate. Yeah. I, I think another big mistake is using or assuming that all realtors are one size fit all, fits all. And um, you know, just so you know, when you get a real estate license, you, you're, you're, allowed to sell anything. Like I could sell vacant land, I could sell commercial real estate, warehouses, primary, you know, homes and townhomes. So there these these are storage units like it it's just anything that's real estate related, it's one license and one test. And obviously realtors are um could have different interests and passions and expertise. So don't use the realtor that helped you sell, you know, buy your primary home to help you invest unless they're investor themselves. And that's a very simple question. It's just, Hey, what do you invest in? Right. And even if they say, Oh, I invest in uh, long-term rentals and you're like, well, I want to invest in short-term rentals then say, okay, I'm looking for a realtor that can uh, help me with short-term rentals. And they're going to be like, well, I can help you. Yeah, I know you can help me. Every realtor can help me, but I I want a mentor that is doing this. And because you pay them all the same, right? I mean, if you're buying, you're not technically paying them, but it's worked into the price, but you might as well use someone who's doing what what you want to do. So you have a mentor and then you can leverage their network, right? Because if you're using a realtor that has 10 properties of the type that you want to buy in the area you want to buy, I promise you they're going to have the best property manager in that area, probably the best electrician in that area, the best vendor in that area, right? They've already done the work. They've cycled through. This guy sucks. This guy's wonderful. You know, this girl's the best. And so then you can uh, just leverage their network and that that's the way to just grow fast and limit your mistakes and just don't assume that all, all realtors are the same. So how do you find a realtor who is investor friendly or like what questions should you be asking a realtor? I mean, it's just simple. Are you an investor yourself? You know, it's like, like when I lived in New York city, it just drove me insane. Um, because the, the, every time it rained, there was these guys, um, that would stand outside holding an umbrella, uh, outside the subway stops. Right. But they were wearing ponchos. And then I would be like, why do you not believe in the product that you're selling? Like, like, like you're selling me umbrellas, but you're wearing a poncho. Like, do you have ponchos for sale? They never had ponchos for sale. And so that's what I feel like is when I'm using a real estate agent who doesn't invest, like, like why you don't believe in your own product. Right. So that's the simple question is you just say, what, what do you buy? What do you invest? Right. And can you recommend me someone who does? And typically they, they, all the agents are going to know who all the investors are because they're always doing a million transactions a year. But outside of that, if you really don't know where to start, 
call some property managers, call property management companies and say, hey, do you know any realtors that work with investors? Of course, like property management companies, they only deal with you know, investors, right? Um, and then if you really don't want to call a property management company, then you can sort of look and say, wow, this duplex, I would have bought that. This is what I want to buy or whatever product you're looking at. Who represented the buyer? Like this information's in Zillow uh, or realtor.com or whatever. You can see who the, the, the buying agent is. And if that agent bought it and you wanted it, it was obviously an investment property. Well, that, that agent knows probably a thing or two about working with investors. So just ask the questions. Just ask the <laughs> questions. There, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of success in real estate is networking. And so join the Facebook group. So put in your city, you know, investment group or whatever. And it's teaming with realtors and mortgage brokers and real estate investors. And they're all going to be there to help you. Everyone thinks investors are like, out, like sharks and like trying to cut each other out. <laughs> and I, I, I found the opposite. I, I, I feel like they're all very helpful because they're all nerding out on some subject. Like it's like going to an anime convention and two guys talking about, you know, the, the, the show that they love. It's not a competition. It's like, yeah, let's, uh, let's, you know, well, what about this? Oh, what about that? Oh yeah, that's great. And then like you, you find your best friend that way, you know? Alan, I can tell that you have absolutely no enthusiasm for real estate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I started a podcast. Everyone was sick of me talking about it. So I, I now I get to talk to strangers about it. Yeah. And, and you know, one of your recent episodes that I was listening to, uh, I, I don't remember who the expert was, but you were talking about uh, you know, how do you find deals and kind of secrets to like house hacking, this idea of house hacking, especially if you have limited funds to get into real estate investing. Tell me a little bit about house hacking, how that works. Yeah. So house hacking is just sort of a strategy where you live in a primary and you rent out part of your primary to cover your mortgage. And this is how I got started as well. And this is one of my, this is one of the best ways to get started because the, you're marrying that emotional, you know, primary investment buying with the spreadsheet decision, right? Because because you're going to live in the property and rent out part of it. It can be done by buying a single family house. And let's say it's a four bedroom and you live in one unit and you rent out three units, right? And, and if, if done amazing and the numbers work out, all three units are basically covering your entire mortgage and you're living for free, right? The that that does that rubs some people the wrong way because they're like I, I don't want to share my house with anyone and that's fine you can get a multifamily of four units or fewer and so you live in one unit and then you have another unit that's separated by a wall and they all pay each other right so that that was sort of my my blueprint and why I like it is because typically if you're buying an investment property you got to put twenty percent down but if you're buying a property that where you're going to live in one of the units you can use an FHA loan that's three and a half percent down. And not only that, you get approved for a bigger loan if you're buying a multifamily. So back to you know, easy numbers, let's say it's $100,000 that you get approved for if you're going to live in the property uh, with 3.5% down because you got $3,500 in your pocket. Well, you could actually buy probably $175,000 duplex, $290,000 uh, know, triplex, and probably a $500,000 um uh, quadruplex with that. The reason why is because the bank's going to say, oh, well, yeah, we see it's a mix of an investment property and a primary. So you're approved for your section. And then oh, we understand right. that the other three units are going to be creating income. So we'll take that income and apply it to your mortgage payment. And so if you just like, and, and if you're in a high cost of living city, like you, like Hawaii is the most expensive. 
with a three and a half percent mortgage, you can get up to a $2 million loan. That's not a $2 million purchase price, a $2 million loan with an FHA of four units in Hawaii. That's the most expensive. And imagine if you didn't even make money, like you just lived in one unit and the other three units paid your mortgage. You wait for 30 years. That $2 million property is probably $8 million and it's completely paid off. Like that's your retirement plan right there. And you've basically, you know, a lot of people paid 50% of their take home pay on rental income. And so if you house hack and you take away your, your living expenses, whether it's a mortgage or uh, rent, you basically double your your take home pay because you were already giving 50% away to a landlord or to a mortgage company. And now if, if your roommates are covering that or your tenants that are joining properties are covering that uh, or a detached mother-in-law suite, well, you've basically doubled your, your take home pay. And to me, this is, this is the best retirement plan out there. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but listen, you're not going to want to miss why Alan says your 401k, it is just not going to be enough for retirement. We'll be right back. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It starts to get it starts to get really sexy in the spreadsheets. I mean, yeah. you know, when you when you start thinking about the way that it could multiply and this idea of basically eradicating, you know, one of your biggest expenses, I think it's just, yeah, it's it's a whole different way to think about building wealth. It's a whole different way of thinking about retirement. You know, I feel like we're so um, programmed to think that we just put our money in a 401k or, you know, an IRA and not that there's anything wrong with that and doing both. No, there, there's everything wrong with that. Right? Yes. No, there's everything wrong with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. It, tell me, tell me. Okay. So um, here's another example to, to paint and it's, Inflation worries is on everyone's mind right now, right? Like you, you, inflation is, is screwing everything up. My my money is not worth as much as it used to be, which is, you know, how do we solve this this problem, Alan? Well, it's real estate, and the way I look at it is, imagine you pull into a gas station and you find a, a dollar on, on on the ground, right? Uh, today, you take that dollar and you got two choices: you can walk in and buy a Snickers bar for a dollar, or you're like, you know what? I, I listen to everyone's talking money. I, I want to pay off my mortgage. I want to mail this dollar into my mortgage company and get a dollar off my principal. Like, cause that's the prudent thing to do. Right. Well, let's now say 15 years, you, you decide not, not to pick up that dollar. I'll leave it for the next person. You come back to that same gas station 15 years later and that dollar is still there. You're like, Oh, fine, fine. I'll, it's meant to be the universe wants me to pick up this dollar and do something with it. And so you pick it up and then you have the exact same two choices. You can walk into the gas station and say, wow, I'm going to buy a Snickers. But no, you can't. That choice has been taken away because that Snickers is now $4, right? Yeah. You're like, well, I can buy a quarter of a Snickers. But guess what happens? I can still pay off an entire full dollar on my mortgage payment. I can still pay off. So so that, so that it's almost worth more uh, is, you know, because it, that, that fixed expense is your inflation hedge. Everything else is getting more expensive. The best thing that's not getting expensive is your 30-year mortgage. So never, never pay off your mortgage early because that you're getting rid of that huge benefit. Like your dollar's worth the most right now. Go spend it on Snickers bars and everything else except your mortgage. Like that, that is what you need to do. And then imagine if you had more than one mortgage, right? You had another mortgage and another mortgage because you're a real estate investing. It's all this benefit keeps adding up and adding up. And that's why everyone's grandma or grandpa looks like the best real estate investor in the world. All they did was live long enough to have their mortgage paid off. And or if they've got like five years left on their mortgage and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe your mortgage is only 300 bucks a month, right? It felt really, really expensive 25 years ago, $300 a month. Oh my God, how are you going to afford that? And now they're genius. And so that's what's great about real estate. The dumbest people can get rich. All they got to do is wait. And, and you just buy as many as you want and you just wait. And I look smarter and smarter every year. And I just want to share that with everyone else because I'm like the dumbest guy and I love being the dumb rich guy. And so, you know, now, now my new dreams is just be like, 
fat and happy. And I, you know, change people don't call me landlord. Let them call me landlord. I'm okay with that. Let's just let's just make this happen. Like it's 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 just so easy, and people just discount it because they have to do a little work up front. Okay, so what do you say back to those money experts? Not myself, but to those other money experts that say having debt is bad. You know, mortgage debt is bad. You've got to eradicate all that debt. You know, can we can we burst this this myth a little bit here? Oh, I, this is all I do on social media, and I am not making many fans of Dave Ramsey uh, carry over to being fans of Alan Corey. But it's it it doesn't make sense. Like like to me, uh, debt that think of it this way, like. Um, I, I like income streams, right? And let's say um, you could, well, here, 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 let me give an example with real estate. Okay. A house, let's, let's assume that house is paid off. That's $100,000. Okay. I have $100,000 have, I have $100, in my pocket and I want to buy one investment property. And I know that all the talking heads say, buy it in cash or don't buy it at all or try to pay it off. So I take my $100,000 and I buy one house with it. And let's assume it rents for $1,000 a month. Okay. That's great. I'm making, you know, that it rents for more, but there's insurance and taxes. My cash flow is $1,000 a month. Okay. So that's, that's going to make me $1,000 a month. Now, let's imagine I take that $100,000 instead and I chop it up into five $20,000 payments and I buy five houses, each with $20,000 down, each with $80,000 mortgages. Well, with that mortgage payment, each one's going to cash flow 200 bucks. So I'm still making $1,000. One's just spread around five and one's spread around one. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's so risky. You got so many mortgages. How do you do that? And this is the way I approach it. I think it's less risky. The more mortgages I have, you know, I just give you one example of why having many mortgages is great. But here's the other example. If I have one house that's vacant, that's not making me any money. It's going to be losing me money because I'm still paying property taxes and everything. But if I've got five houses, I've done like a mutual fund approach to real estate, where if one is vacant, the other four are going to carry that down one, right? And so it actually becomes less risky because then I've got four that that cover that fifth one. And then so so that just gets less risky and riskier when I go to 10 and 20 and 30. And the more I get, they're all sort of floating and they're carrying each other. Sure, some are going to be down, but it doesn't hurt as much. Now, let's assume we're, you raise rent $25, um, Every year, just whatever. The expenses go up and everyone knows their rent's going to go up. No one's like, uh, you know, expecting <laughs> no the rent shocked. to go down. Yeah. yeah, no one's shocked. So you raise it 25 bucks. Well, if you have one house and you raise it 25 bucks, now you're making 1025 If you've got five houses, you're making $1,125. In one year, you're just making an extra 100 bucks, right? And then in two years, you're making an extra 200 And it, it just keeps going and going. And here's the other thing. I, I, I mean, again, this, I've, I've written a whole book about this. So I, there's many, many chapters. But like, uh, let's assume housing prices go up, uh, you know, whatever. You, you wait long enough for the housing prices to go up 10%. Well, if you have one house, that hundred thousand dollar house made you ten thousand dollars, right? If you got five, it made you fifty thousand dollars, and because all one hundred thousand dollar house went up, you know, ten percent. So you—that's five times your money just by spreading it out, and more risk. Like people are like, I want—I want to really hammer in on the risk because that's where everyone gets hung up on. Uh, I'd rather have twenty thousand dollars in five different houses than one hundred thousand dollars one house. That's all my eggs in one basket. But also, if Lawyers love pointing out, like if if there is an issue and you don't have insurance and you're the worst landlord ever and you don't make any repairs and then someone does something and they want to they want they want to sue you like like I 
if they if you have an asset that's $100,000, they're going to sue you for that $100,000 and make you for, sell the house. But if you have a property that only has $20,000 and and they they get hurt, they're like they're not going to sue you because they're like Ah, it's not. It's not going to be worth it because the bill is going to be thirty thousand dollars in lawyer bills, and they only we force them to sell the house. It's only twenty thousand dollars. So it, there's so many ways that it reduces risk that you want to spread it out, have as little money in every house as possible, and it ride the wave of thirty year fixed mortgages, and your retirement is going to get bigger and bigger uh, because your mortgage gets paid down, it gets cheaper each month, and you're going to raise rent, and uh, you you sort of want that big next nest egg, but. You don't have to be a tycoon. I really think four properties is going to change your life. You just have four properties. You can cover your most of your bills and just wait it out, and you're 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 going to be set for life. Alan, you're you're just sort of blowing my mind here. I love this. I think you're going to become our our resident real estate investing uh, guru expert. I can already tell that we are we're going to have to do a, a, a part two to this one. So, you know, to, to wrap things up, we've, we've talked about a lot, um, and I think we've definitely given the, the, the motivation, the case of why real estate investing is definitely something that everybody should think about and look into. So, you know, just to leave us here, maybe with a little extra, you know, motivation or a little, little action list, if, if this is something we're, we're interested in, if we really think we want to take the first steps into real estate investing, like what are the, what are the couple of things we should do right now? Right now, the, the first thing is um, obviously listen to the Stacking Deeds podcast. Like, like right, like that's that, that's just obvious. Everyone knows that. But uh, outside of that, talk to a mortgage broker. You you want to know what your budget is, and a mortgage bro- broker is going to be your best friend in in this situation. Same sort of thing would be great if you had a mortgage investor who is an investor themselves. Um, but um, so ask those questions. It costs nothing to talk to a mortgage uh, lender. And what thing to realize is this that they're on your team. Like, like a lot of people like to keep things from their mortgage investor. Like, ah, I'm not going to tell them about this. I'm not going to, they're, they're in the business of giving you money. Like, and so the more you tell them, the more strategies that they can come up to give you money. And so just be an open book. Cause a lot of times you hide things and then you get under contract and right at the last second, everything blows up in your face because you're like, I should have told them that I have, uh, you know, this cash, uh, job on the side. Right. So, uh, Yes, just talk to a mortgage lender. It, 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 everyone will love it if you call them or email them. That's that they're in the business to find a way to give you money. So that is where I would start. And then, um, yeah, start going surrounding yourself with investors. And that could be online on social media. There's a lot of people on social media giving advice. Uh, there's forums, uh, probably in your city. Like I said, Facebook groups, things like that. And uh, that's just to start you know, that hive mind, see what questions other people are asking and why did someone say that's a bad thing? And I, I built confidence when I was reading books like 20 years ago. And I was like, I think I know what, what this chapter is going to tell me. And then I'd guess, I'm like, I think the advice is going to be this. And then if I got it wrong, I'm like, ah, I knew I was a dumb idiot. But if I got it right, I'm like, yeah, all right. Now I know I'm ready to buy in real estate. And so that I, you know, I just find ways to like trick myself. Like, yeah, you can do this, you know, hype myself up. So I, I, they're, just, just do that. You know, pause a podcast or or a social media thing and try to guess what the answer is going to be. And uh, you're, I, I promise you, you're, you're going to get more right than than you realize. Earlier this week, we had Dr. Sharice Johnson on the show. She was talking about this idea of expired mindsets, like the thinking that that no longer serves you and is really keeping you stuck. So when I was chatting with Alan, he was talking about this idea of matching 
an investment property with a bill that you have, like something like your phone bill that you just have to keep paying. That concept to me was just a totally different way of thinking about investing in real estate because I think it asks you to just shift your traditional thinking. You're thinking that you just, you know, pay your bills. You put money in your 401k and you just cross your fingers and pray that everything works out. So I I was so just, I, I love this conversation with Alan. It just really got me fired up. And hopefully this episode has given you some ideas to approach investing in real estate, maybe in a different way, and maybe in a way that you didn't even think was possible. So of course, you're going to want to hear a lot more from Alan. You can find him and his co-host Crystal on the Stack Indeed show everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also check out Alan's weekly newsletter called The House Money Weekly. You can subscribe at realestatemaxi.com. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to everything I just talked about, as well as our sponsors who make this show possible. I will see you back here in a few days, my friend, with a brand new episode. 